particular night, we were having a church service, and, and in fact, that, that Sunday afternoon, I, I was coming out of the, the church service. It was Mother's Day of all days, Mother's Day. If you'd think you'd be safe in church on Mother's Day. Well, I, I'm walking out of the church, and, and God says to me, tell that young man to preach tonight. Well, I'm not in the habit of just telling any old young man to preach in my church. And I said, and particularly that young man, because I had heard he was a little strange. And I said, Lord, you want me to have him preach? And the Lord said very clearly to me, yes. So I went up to him and I said, Lonnie, would you like to preach tonight in my church? He said, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for the chance. I thought, oh, no. I'm telling you, I died a thousand deaths all afternoon. All afternoon, I agonized. I said, oh, God, you got me into it again. You got me into a mess. He's going to mess my church up. And the Lord said, when did it become your church? I said, oh, that's right, that's right, okay. <laughs> so I went to church that night, and I, <laughs> we worshipped extra long. <laughs> I found a lot of announcements that needed to be made. But I, I, and as long as I stretched it, it was still time. And so he's sitting there all bright and alert like a kid at his birthday party. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, he looks harmless enough. All right, come on up. So he comes up and he starts speaking, and I sit down over on the side, and, uh, and I'm listening to him, and, and it's great, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, what was I worried about? He was funny, he's giving his testimony, and, and his pathos in it, you know, and they're trying to weep a little bit, and you, you know, and, he, and you, you know, salute a couple times, and, he, and he's telling you some great verses, and you're laughing, and just having a wonderful time, I'm thinking, what was I worried about? This is great, you know, God, you're so good. And then he does the weirdest thing I've ever even heard of. <laughs> Everything's going good, you know, all of a sudden he stops and he says, well, that's it. He said, you know, the church has been offending the Holy Spirit a long time and uh, he's, he's quenched, but he's getting over it. And we're going to invite him to come and minister now. Come, Holy Spirit, and whammo! <laughs> the Spirit of God comes. And people start fighting. Well, first of all, he says, everybody 25 years and under come forward. Well, in our church, that's everybody, you know. <laughs> You know, they're all coming up there. And there's hundreds of them up all crowded around the stage. And he says, come, Holy Spirit. And the next thing I know, people are falling and bouncing in there. And they're laying on the floor and they're talking like turkey. And one kid, he falls. One kid, he falls. And the microphone falls with him. You know, and it's laying right in front of his face. And he's speaking in tongues, you know. I mean, I'm not talking about two minutes. I'm talking about 45 minutes he's talking through that microphone. And we're wading through bodies, you know, trying to get over to him. And we can't get the microphone off, and we can't get to him. And Lonnie is going like a banshee. You know, he's running through the crowd and raising his hands. And, you know, and I'm thinking he's pushing people over. He's knocking them down. But he's not even touching them. He's walking by them, and they're going wham, wham, you know, and falling everywhere. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, get me out of here. <laughs> and people are grabbing their Bibles and going, not me. I'm <laughs> and they're going out the door. Some of them I never have seen. That was four years ago, you know, that they went out the door. Well, I want to tell you something. When it, when it finally stopped, when it finally stopped, Man, did I get it, you know. I started, all the staff was upset and uptight, you know. They, they didn't tell you the half of it when 
when <laughs> Sam was mentioning that earlier today, he didn't tell you the whole story. Everybody was pretty uptight. Well, I went home, and I tried to be civil, you know, I was polite, well, thank you very much, and I, for, for ministering. <laughs> so, I get home, you know, and I, and I try to go to sleep, I, I can't sleep, I get up and I, I go from Genesis to Revelation, you know, and I'm looking for Holy Spirit, come, you know. <laughs> Wham, wham, you know. Everybody, welcome to Church 242. That was John Wimber. If you guys do not know who John Wimber is, that is John Wimber. He was a revivalist during the uh, 80s and early 90s. And basically, he started what we call the Vineyard Movement. And the guy that he was talking about is Lonnie Frisbee. And you might not know Lonnie Frisbee's name, but you know the church that he is associated with, which is Calvary Chapel. He's the one that helped build Calvary Chapel way back in the day. Um... Uh, basically, if you guys don't know how Calvary Chapel started, they were really part of the Jesus people movement, and they grabbed all the hippies. And Lonnie Frisbee just happened to be one of them hippies, okay? And got to know the Lord, and he moved in the Lord, and he was an amazing man, and helped build the church that we know as Calvary Chapel today. Now, when you start looking at Calvary Chapel's history, you might not find his name. And the reason why you might not find his name is he did all these amazing things in God's name, um, but when he died, um, he passed away from a, a, a little disease that we know as AIDS, See, because he was secretly a homosexual. And that was the sin that he was dealing with. And so literally on his deathbed and at his funeral, you actually had people that kind of renounced him from the church. And it's kind of heartbreaking. I don't know where you stand with all of that, but I honestly don't believe, like if you find Jesus, I don't care who gave him to you, how you got to him, that stands true. And I can say this about Lonnie Frisbee, is that he gave Jesus to people. Whether it was, or flopping on the ground, people got to know Jesus through him. And there was an entire movement that, that, that spawned from that. And John Wimber there, as you see, uh, created that, that vineyard movement. And it didn't look normal. Matter of fact, the vineyard movement actually shaped, John Wimber um, wasn't any, he was in Anaheim. John Wimber started in Anaheim. That's where he was at. And basically it started a movement all the way through Southern California. And then obviously to the world. But it actually helped shape the churches in this area. Matter of fact, it divided churches in this area because there's a lot of churches in this area that just, they were like, I don't want to do the Holy Spirit thing. Now, it sounds weird because if you go and ask the churches, they'll be like, no, we welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's totally welcome here. As long as they get past the guard and the gates and the dogs. He's totally welcome. But the reality is, is, is that when it came to the movement of the Holy Spirit within the church, there's just a lot of churches that just didn't want to deal with that. And I started thinking about this yesterday. I was sitting down at the beach yesterday. We did our, our uh, beach day, which was awesome. Unless you didn't find a parking spot, then it wasn't awesome for you. Um, it was a, a tragic day. It is amazing, by the way, what not finding a parking spot will do to the emotions of a person. It literally, like, you can be having the best day of your life, and then you can't find a parking spot. And then it's like, you know what? Screw it. We're done. 
I'm, I'm done. And there are some people that literally text me and say, Craig, I've been down here for an hour, can't find a spot, have a good day. I can only read that text with anger. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, hey, Craig, just, you know, we were looking for a while. Love you, bro. Have a good day. No, no, that text is like, I hate life. I hate you right now. I'm going home, you know? And I'm like, I apologize. But I'm sitting at the beach yesterday, and I, and I had all these things going in mind. Because one of the things, like, I, I couldn't land, like, this is the last part of this series that we're on called um, Unbound. And, and the reason, like, why we're doing this series is we want to unbind some things in our life that basically we we've basically became used to that aren't really things that, we, that are normal. They shouldn't be normal, but they are normal. And if you ask me, Craig, what is, I don't understand that. What is that? In the very beginning, we talked about food, remember? And we, say, we, we gave the example of this. You know, how many times are you supposed to eat in a day? Now, the answer's three. Breakfast, lunch, and unless you're back east, then it's breakfast, dinner, and supper. Right? And so, the, basically, the concept then becomes this. Where in the world did we get that? There's nowhere in history where that's a law or a rule. It's just something that we've adapted over time. And if we're real, if we're honest with each other, it's also kind of a commercialism type of a thing where what they did is they said, how can we sell more food? Well, let's tell everybody they have to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Does that make sense? And so we have this construct in our hearts and in our minds that we have to eat. Now, the reality is if we actually go back to like our nomadic self, we only ate when we were what? Hungry. Now we don't even do that. We get hungry and we're like, I can't eat yet. I got to wait till lunch. <laughs> right? I'm hungry now, but I can't wait. I, I got I to gotta wait till dinner. Right? And, and that's what we do. We've created things that we are now bound to. And, what we, and, and it's not just worldly things, but we're also talking about spiritual things that we have just been bound to. And we don't, it, it mostly comes from church history and tradition, but it's not actually biblical. Did that make sense? And so we've been in this series trying to unbind all these things, talking about these things, trying to get, like, like just uproot these things. And say, let's chase God the way that, that he designed us to, be, to chase him. Did that make sense? And I was sitting at the beach. I'm like, how are we going to land this plane? How are we going to do this? And, 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 I was, and there were some things that were happening. And I was laughing because in my head, um, I was looking at our church. Don't take this weird. But I was looking at our church and I was like, dang, we're an attractive church. <laughs> like, we got some cute kids up in this place. Like, seriously, because we had a lot of kids running around. And I was like, we just have an attractive church. Now, when I say that, your first thought process was what? Thank you. You look, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, I'm, but the, main, the first thing we think about is our looks. What do we look like? And so I, the, the, the word attractive just kept going through my mind. And I was like, what is it with this word? And, and I couldn't shake it like all day long. And then we went to worship the, later that uh, yesterday evening. And, and it just this, I was watching as people were walking by. It's just people worshiping. But I'll be honest with you, there was a bunch of people worshiping there. We weren't the only church. I don't know what it was, but uh, if you guys care, um, it was Church Beach Day. Um, up and down the entire like Southern California coastline, there were five churches 
Yeah, five churches that we know of that were like right next to us. You know, it was super awesome. I love how we not connected at all. We didn't even talk to each other. It was beautiful. I, I can't say much because I didn't go over there and hang out with them either. So swing and a miss on that one. Can you tell I was convicted by that when I went home? Yeah. Um, but somebody uh, actually got a hold of us on our Facebook page and just said it was really awesome to watch you guys. And, uh, and they're like, how did they find us? Well, we had our signs out and it has our information on it. Um, but she, she actually said, like, it was, it was neat to watch you guys. I'm actually from a church in San Bernardino. And I just wanted to tell you how, how amazing it was to see you guys kind of worshiping. And what I did notice is when I was sitting there, I was watching everybody walk by. And whether you liked us or not, you looked at us. <laughs> yeah? You looked at us. Why? Because there's something that's attractive about God. And now I wanted to break down this word because I want us to get to this place because this is the last thing that we have to unbind. One of the things that we keep having to unbind is how the world sees uh, God in the church and how basically God, how we're supposed to see God in the church. Does that make sense? And one of the big things is we keep thinking that this life is about us. Me, 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 me. And if it makes me happy, I'm good. That's humanism. And so I started thinking about this word attractive. And so this is uh, the word attractive. This is what it means. Providing pleasure or delight, especially in appearance or manner. You guys catch that? It's not all about your looks. It's pleasing. It's charming. It's alluring. I didn't know what alluring means. So I'm going to define that for you as well. Because you kind of have an idea of what it means. But let's define alluring. It means very tempting, enticing, seductive. I don't know if we're allowed to use that in church, but we're going to. Okay. But there is something that is attractive about God. Now, here's the thing. It's like, um, it's kind of like a car accident in my head. You don't want to look, but you're going to look. Because there's something that is very tempting and enticing about it. Does that make sense? There's something about it that we have to get to. And here's the thing. This is what I started getting into. This is where I think the Lord's heading us and, and today, and, and I just thought this was awesome. Um, not everything's attractive the same to all of us. Does that make sense? Like what's attractive to me might not be attractive to you type of an idea, right? And we all, oh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Like there's something like that, right? So there's this idea. So here's what happens. We take that and we start applying that to everything. We apply that to cars. Oh, I don't like that car. That car's no. Nah. Why? It doesn't look good. It, it's a car. There's only one purpose for a car. To get from point A to point B without you walking. True? That's like the thing of it. But no, dude, we got to do it in style. And I get it. And some of you guys are like, man, I want to get a car with a really big engine in it. Because I want to go fast. But the speed limit says you're only allowed to go 65. So if your car goes 65, you're good. Right? But see, we, well, what, we, what we've done, we've created standards for what we think are, what is attractive. Now, not only do we apply it to cars, we apply it to people. We even apply it to food. Like, if you ever watch, I don't know, some of you, if you're, not, if you're like me, you ever watch, like, the, the food channel? You don't even, you're not even, like, you're just looking for something to watch, and you just bypass the food channel, and you get stuck there for 40 minutes? What is the biggest thing that they say about the food? It's not just the taste, it's the presentation. Because people 
eat with their eyes before they eat with their lips or whatever it is. I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> I obviously don't pay attention very much to that. But with their, yeah, that's right. No, I don't know what it is. But, that, but, they, but so presentation, why? Because if it don't look good, I got to put it in my mouth. Yes? We also take this concept of attractiveness and we apply it to the church. If it doesn't look good, then I'm not going. If it doesn't feel right when I'm in there, I'm not going to stay. And what we have done is we've literally taken church and we've put it into a category of everything else instead of something that is separated. Do you guys know that is the, that is the meaning of the word holy? Is to be separated? To be set apart? Churches should not be in the same category as you're trying to pick your car or how you eat your food. Churches should be set apart as holy because now when you can separate it from everything else, now you can actually judge it and look at it the way it's supposed to be look, looked at. Did that make sense? See, right now, if all of a sudden I said, Holy Spirit, come, and half of you fell over, and some of you are like, right? If that actually started to take place in here, some of you are like, not attractive, I'm out. This church is weird. That's not how God operates. I'm going to prove to you today he does. Um, but the reality is, is when it's not pleasing to our eye, we're done with it. I think that's the biggest problem with people trying to understand Christ today. Is that when we look at Christ, it's not attractive. It's just not attractive anymore. And I think we need to get to a place to where Christ is attractive again. And so I want to share with you what church should look like. And I got to these verses, and, I, and, and when I got to them, the Lord kind of led me to one of them. And I was like, God, I've already preached on that. Like, I don't want to preach on it again. And he said, not that, the, the, the context of all of it. And I was like, awesome. So I'm going to do that today for you guys. And we're going to see how weird church is and see how attractive it is to you. Is that okay? And then we're going to have to judge that off of your life and kind of say, are there some things in your life you have to be unbound from? Everybody know where we're going? Yeah. We're all in the same boat? Hopefully, if not, we'll throw a tube to you or something. Okay, let's do this. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And God, as we get into this, God, I, I just ask that your wisdom would be here and that you would love on us, God. And uh, we just thank you. Open up our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go to Mark chapter uh, 5. Mark chapter 5, there are three, uh, that I, I want to call them biblical accounts. These are like testimonies of three different people. And I want, I, here's the first thing I was going to do. I was going to actually like read the entire chapter to you. And then I realized how boring that would be. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do story time with Craig. Yay! That's really what we're going to do. I'm just going to give you the biblical accounts of what is taking place. Is that okay? And so I want us to kind of get our imagination ready. I want to get us in our thought process, and we're going to run with it, okay? Imagine Jesus and the 12. They step off this boat, okay? They're, okay, let's, they're up in Galilee. They're up high up here, okay? Does that make sense? They're up there. And basically, if you're looking at, um, some of you guys, up, where are you at? If you're in Israel... The northern section up top. Everybody with me? So you have Israel up here. You have the temple that's down here. Jesus is up here. Everybody with me? He's on this boat. 
with 12 guys. The boat lands on shore, and as they get offshore, they hear this weird noise, grumbling, yelling, hooting, hollering, and it's like, what the heck? And as they're walking, they're, they're, they're walking by a graveyard, and he, out comes this man. Now, I don't, I don't know what he looks like in your mind, but in my mind, he is filthy, dirty. He's basically in rags, if not completely nude. And he is screaming. He's like foaming at the mouth. And he's got cuts all over his body, even on his face. And he's sitting there and he, he looks over at Jesus. And here's the thing that it says. It actually says that he has chains on him. So the reason why he's not chained down is because there's no longer, the chains can no longer hold him. See, this guy is demon possessed and he is so strong, he has super strength. It says that he can break the chains and he can break the shackles off of his feet. And so nothing could hold him. And he's in a place that is the most undesirable place for anybody, especially a Jewish person to be, is in a graveyard. Because that's unclean. That's dirty. I can't be there. And this is where this man lives. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps up onto the shore and he starts to walk by. And, and I, I just want us to get our minds into this guy just running out going, Rah! you know what I mean? Like, and the 12 disciples going, oh, dang. And I just, here's what I always picture. Like Jesus doesn't move. He's unmovable. He's unshakable. So this guy comes out of the corner like he'd be the worst person to take to Not Scary Farm. You know, like, ah, uh, you need to be healed. Come here. You know, why all of us are like three feet like somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? And this is, and this is what I imagine is, is all these disciples are like, oh, crazy guy, run. And then like Jesus is like standing there. And the crazy guy runs up. And instead of attacking Jesus, he bows down before him. He bows down before him. And this is, where, this, is, this is where it gets a little crazy. The demons take over the voice of the man. And it's the demons talking. And Jesus starts talking to the demons. He's not talking to the man. Did you guys catch this? This is biblical. This is the Bible. By the way, there's nowhere in scripture that says that that actually changed. Did that make sense? So I, I love that the, the biggest con of the enemy is to make us believe that he's not around today. Like we need to get to a place where we're saying, dude, that stuff's real. Look, I, here's the thing. I love, like, like it, my favorite is, like, watching some of those. They have those scary things. Like, they try to find ghosts. Yeah, I don't know what some of those shows are called. But, like, they try to find ghosts. I'm like, dude, that stuff is, like, real. Not ghosts. They're just demonic. And they just got the wrong name. Does that make sense? So they're walking around. They're like, oh, I feel a presence. You're like, Run! Because that crap's going to go with you. Like, that's going to attach to you. And then you're like, well, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? And, and I, anyways, I just, the, 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 there's these things that this is real. But dude, that is so unattractive. Let's just be real. If I pray for the demon to possess people to like stand up and like, you know, I start calling for demons and all of a sudden like three people are like, ah! That is so unattractive. That is like, mm, and we are not coming back to this church. <laughs> or even weirder, it's you. <laughs> and you're like, oh, God, what's that? <laughs> what is that? Stay down. 
We're in church. But do you guys get what I'm saying? This is so unattractive. We don't do these things because, because why? We're too sophisticated now. We'll just think the enemy away. Are you guys with me on this one? But this is the real, this is scripture. This guy comes and he bows down and the demon kind of takes over and he's like, he's like, oh, don't torture us. They obviously don't know Jesus. But can I be honest with you? When you do something wrong and you do something bad and you know that something's wrong or something's bad in your life, the first thing that we do when we go to Jesus is we tell him, don't hurt us. Did that make sense? Some of those things we have to unbind in our hearts and in our minds is that Jesus isn't standing around with a big stick waiting to hit you because you screwed up. Does that make sense? That it, when we start thinking along those lines, we forget about the cross. And we forget that the sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And God's not sitting there looking at your sins. He's looking at you saying, I'm so hurt for you because you feel so hurt. Did that make sense? And the, the demon gets down and he goes, and he goes, don't torture us. Oh, please don't torment us. And Jesus is kind of like, yo, bro, what's your name? What's your name? And it says, we are legion. We are many. 2,000 to be exact. That's what the scripture indicates. There's about 2,000 demons all up in that body. No wonder he could break chains. Does that make sense? Now see, some of we talk about this and you guys are like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about this. It's the truth though. But here's the thing. What, what am I saying that's unshakable? Jesus. He's standing right there. Not moved. 2,000 of you. I'll take you all on. Let's do this. And, it, and basically they start begging, do not torture us, do not, please don't kick us out. Please don't let us leave the area. And Jesus, being Jesus, says, okay. How about you go into the herd of pigs over there? There's about 2,000 pigs over there. Y'all just get into those guys. And they said, oh, you know, I, I, it doesn't record this, but I just imagine them going, oh, thank you. Woo, piggy, here we come. You know what I mean? And it says that they go from the man to the pigs. And the herd of pigs starts to stir. And as the herd of pigs starts to stir, they, they literally have a stampede into the, into the lake. Some record that it goes down a mountain or down a cliff into the lake, and all the piggies die. Ah! Now, the herder, the, the, I don't know what you call them. The, the swine herder, the shepherd, farmer. I don't know. I don't, he, the guy watching the pigs. He watches this happen. He's like, oh, oh, oh. That's like all, I mean, that's his money. Just whoop. You ever feel that way sometimes? Just your money just running? And you can't do nothing about it? Bye-bye. <laughs> and when that happens, you need somebody to blame. And who does he blame? Jesus. What'd you do to my pigs? Does that make sense? So the guy, the farmer, goes into the town. He's like, you guys got to hear this. This dude comes off the beach. Remember the crazy guy and the thing that we all kind of, uh, yeah, that guy, yeah. Remember him? Yeah, he ain't crazy anymore. What? No, really? Billy's not crazy no more? I don't know his name. It doesn't count. Does that make sense? Like, he's not, no. But you know what? This guy killed my pigs. He killed my pigs. 
Sorry. Sorry. Gray, I don't know. He's from the Galilee. No. Sorry. Sorry. This is going down a bad path. All right. Maybe I should have just read it. Um, so here's what happens. The town gets stirred up and they all come to meet Jesus. Now you think, demon-possessed man, breaking chains, super, like, you know, super strong dude, is now completely well, completely healed. And he's sitting there and he's just like, I love God. And all of a sudden the town comes in. And what is the town saying? Get out. They don't come and say, oh, thank you, Jesus. We love you. That was super incredible. We didn't, no, it's get out. You know, we don't want your kind here. Type of an idea. And I think sometimes it's how we treat the church. You see, when things become unattractive, see, killing the pigs, doing all that, that's unattractive. That's not pleasing to the eye. That's not pleasing in manner. That's not something that's normal. And so the guys were just like, we are not having that in our town. Get out. And Jesus gets in the boat. He, he's like, fine, if that's what you want to do, I'm out. So he gets in the boat, and guess what? The, the old demon, Billy, I don't know what his name is. The, the demon-possessed guy, he's trying to get in the boat too. He's like, all right, we out. I'm going with this guy. <laughs> and Jesus kicks him out of the boat. Jesus is like, uh-uh. Could you imagine? See, some of you guys just want to follow Jesus, and he's trying to follow Jesus, and Jesus is like, uh-uh. You need to stay here. I have a plan for you here. I know it's easy to follow the crowd. I know it's easy to want to chase all the glory stuff. But he says, no, I have, a I have a purpose for you in this city. So I need you to stay here. And I need you to tell of all the accounts that you have seen and heard. He didn't say give them the gospel. He doesn't know Jesus is about to die. He doesn't know that. All he said is tell them what I did for you. See, some of us, we don't walk around and tell people what Jesus did for us. We try to shove gospel down their throat. When people don't want to hear the gospel, they want to know how God has influenced you. Yeah, that's good. Are you guys like, mm. we got to get to a place where the church is sitting here not going, you know, Bible, Bible, Bible. We're sitting here saying, do you know the testimony of what God did for us? I'm going to say it uh, probably next, next month in our, ne our next series. But man, I'm going to be real. Testimony changes lives. Stupidest thing, I was sitting around, I just, I, like a couple months back, and I was sitting around, and I was talking about, like, we were praying for finances for our church, and I was like, God, I just want you to send checks in the mail. Just send checks in the mail. Somebody in our church, they decided that they're no longer going to donate online, but they actually set up an account. I literally get checks in the mail every week now. And I sit back, oh, God, I love you, that's so funny. It, it, it's funny. But it's an answer to a prayer, and that's testimony. It changes lives because there's power in a testimony. The next thing that happened is because Jesus, the guy has a place to go. The, Jesus gets on the boat. He goes to the other side of the lake to try that out because, you know, why not? Because that side wasn't very nice. He gets out. People are like, oh, my gosh, Jesus is here. And the crowds start to come like crazy. And it says they start to come in around him so much that they start to press in against him that he's getting crushed. Do you see the two differences? A whole crowd came and was like, get out. He goes to the other side of the lake and the whole crowd is like, welcome. Why? Because Jesus was attractive to one community, not the other. Why? Because the other community didn't know who Christ truly was yet. 
They didn't realize that Christ has the power to heal. Christ has the power to save. But the other crowd knew it. And the first guy that he meets is a guy named Jairus. And he is a synagogue ruler. And the synagogue ruler means that he's the pastor of a church in that area. And this is basically what's going to happen. He looks at him and he says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Nobody could do anything. But I heard you could. Come. Heal my daughter. See, when push comes to shove, it doesn't matter what you believe about people. If they can help, you need them. They could be your worst enemy. But if you hit dire straits and, there's only, and they're the only person, you are going and knocking on their door and you're swallowing your pride. Does that make sense? Why is this important? Well, because a lot of the Jewish people at that time, especially synagogue rulers, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They heard about his clout. They heard about all this stuff, but they weren't going to believe. It wasn't attractive to them. It wasn't helping their agenda. Did that make sense? And so for a synagogue ruler to rock up to Jesus, you know he's at dire straits. My daughter is dying. This is personal. I need you right now. And Jesus is like, let's go. He starts walking, the crowd starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and he can't even really see his way. And Jairus, I can sit there, like the panic in Jairus' voice, and is like, come on, come on, come on. And then all of a sudden, as the crowd is like in, he stops. Jesus just stops, and he goes, somebody touched me. And he got to love Peter. His disciple Peter is like right there, and he looks at Jesus, and I just, this is why I got a heart for Peter. He looks at him, there's only one way you can read this. He looks at him and he said, Jesus, everybody is touching you. They're all trying to get a piece of you, bro. Come on. No, 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 no. Peter, you don't understand. Somebody touched me. At that moment, I imagine Peter just going, I think Jesus lost it. And then he turns to the crowd. And he says, who touched me? And he's looking around. Now here's the thing. I want to stop that story because I'm going to jump ahead. And he's sitting there and he takes a moment with somebody in the crowd. And I'm sitting there and, and all I'm thinking about as I'm reading this, I'm sitting there going, what is Jairus doing at this moment? I can care less if anybody touched you. Jesus, I don't want to be rude, but you need to come. Get to stepping, bro. Let's go. My daughter is dying. Did you not hear that I need something from you now? Move. And he's busy dealing with this, this situation that's going on. And I can just see Jairus getting panicked. Like, what the heck? And then all of a sudden, he gets a tap on his shoulder. And he turns. And it's one of his people from his house. And he says, hey. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter passed. I don't think that this is a sad moment. I don't think that Jairus went into weeping. I think immediately rage. The only thing that could help is literally 200 yards away and you stop. Jesus just became unattractive. 
And I wish, I wish I could have saw the interaction and how that went down because I know human beings and human beings haven't changed. We still have the same feelings, the same emotions. And I'm telling you right now, if your daughter or your son passes away and the person that could have saved them is 200 yards away and they decide to stop because somebody touched them, this is not okay. Instant rage. Are you guys with me on the story? And he looks over at Jesus and he's like, you know what? Don't even bother anymore. Don't even come. And Jesus, I think, just calmly looks at him and he goes, why? She's passed. Thank you. Nah, no thanks. And Jesus says, I love this line. Hey, don't be afraid. Just believe. Gyrus, you pound sand. <laughs> I did believe. I did. I came. I got you. You're dragging your feet, Jesus. You're dragging your feet. And I just look at that because I believe this is what's wrong with our churches today. We come to God with these requests, and it's panic, dire straits, and Jesus drags his feet, and Jesus just looks at it and says, hey, don't be afraid, just believe. And you tell God, no, you just believe, I'm done with you. And we walk away from the church. We walk away from those that talk about Jesus in a good light. We, talk, we walk away from hearing that we have a good God, because you don't see a good God in your life. All you see is what he didn't provide for you. Do you see how that's humanism? And that needs to be unbound. The reason why Jesus said, hey, you need to just believe, is because he's about to do something that the world has never seen, and especially you. See, we think that our ending is the end, that there's no other way around it, because it's the only way that we can think. God doesn't think like we think. We have to get to a place where we recognize God can make all things good. So he goes, I'm going to your house. Jairus like, do whatever you got to do. He shows up, and they have professional whalers. They're, they're not fishing, like crying. They wail. That's what they're supposed to do. So they sit in front of the house, like, oh, no! Oh, Jesus, God! Not Jesus, God! You know, ah! They make this big commotion. Jesus walks up, and he goes, what are you doing? They're like, oh, didn't you hear the daughter died? Ah! And they start doing, like, making this big. He goes, why are you making such a big scene? She's just sleeping. And they all go, ah! <laughs> oh, this guy. Right? She's just sleeping. She goes into the room and he takes a couple of the disciples with him. And as they go into the room, there's a girl that's 12 years old and she's dead on the bed. And he looks at her and he whispers a couple things in Aramaic to her. And which basically says, little girl, get up. And all of a sudden, she takes this breath, and breath of life comes back into her lungs, and she stands up, and she's immediately resurrected and healed. And she starts going around the room, and I just wish I could have saw the face of the whalers. Ta-da! Sleeping. <laughs> Don't doubt me ever again. Do you think Jairus' life is it forever changed? Do you think he knows who the Messiah is? Why? Because it's the power of God that steps in when you think all else has failed. 
And here's the thing. Some of us in church, even today, we think all else has failed. And what we got to get to is a place where you say, it doesn't matter if things fall apart and it's completely done. God can restore. God is the best at taking dead things and making them come to life. Amen? That's his job. That's what he does. He loves it. But let's go back to who touched him. See, the person that touched him was unattractive. Matter of fact, she was an outcast of the entire, not church, community. See, she had this blood flow that was happening. And back then, when you had a blood flow that was happening and you were a woman, what happens was is that you were literally kicked out of your house until it stopped. You couldn't touch anything because anything that you touched would actually be unclean and that thing would have to be either burned or cleansed or cleansed by burning. So you couldn't touch a woman. You couldn't, they couldn't sit anywhere. They couldn't do anything because it was unclean. So they would literally leave and they'd go outside the city or they would have a special place where they would go and then they would basically do a mikvah after it's all over, which is a washing, and they would be entered back into the city. This woman had it happening for 12 years. Can you imagine being outcasted from family and friends for 12 years, spending all of their money on doctors and they can't even fix you? You think she's at her dire end? Then she hears that there's this guy that could be the Messiah. Remember, anything that she touches becomes unclean. Everybody with me on that one? There's a crowd around Jesus. If she touches any of those people, they become unclean. Are you with me on this one? She's taking a risk. And she's saying, you know what? If all, they can all be mad at me. They don't like me anyways. I'm going to go. And if this guy is the Messiah, I don't need to touch his, 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 his flesh. I don't need him to say anything to me. All I need to do is touch the hem of his garment or the fringes on his garment, which are called the wings of basically a prayer shawl. You guys with me on this one? I just need to touch the wings. And the reason why she goes, I just have to touch that is because she knows the prophecy. The prophecy in Malachi where it basically says the, the healing comes on the wings of the Messiah are the son of God. Are you guys with me on that one? So she goes, I don't need him to talk to me. I don't need him. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to touch the hem of his garment. Nobody will know. And I'll be clean. So the reason why she reaches down is she grabs the wings. And as she grabs the wings, instantly the blood flow stops. And this is why Jesus stops and says, somebody touched me. He's not saying somebody touched me. See, this is where we get a little bit weird. You know what he's saying? Hey, somebody knows who I am. See, the whole crowd wanted healing. The whole crowd wanted to be part of the glory. But somebody actually knew who he was. And he stopped and he's like, who are you? Who are you? Who knows who I am? And this woman comes up and I bet you the town knows who she is. If, you're done, if that's happened for you for 12 years, the town knows who you are. And she stands up and I believe that she's on the ground and she probably just kind of raises up and everybody goes, oh no, unclean. And they back away from her. Are you guys with me on this one? I'm almost done. They back away from her. And he looks at her and he says, tell them what happened. I don't care about the miracle. Tell them why you touched my garment. Tell them who I am. Does this make sense? 
And I tell you these three stories, and they're lumped together in Mark chapter 5, not, because like, not just because it's like, oh, they happened in sequence. The reason why they're there is, what are we talking about? This should be the church. Cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. But that is so unattractive. And Craig, you don't understand. We can't do that stuff nowadays. That's just taboo. We can't walk around and pray for people for healing. Could you imagine if we actually believe, like, like somebody died and we just walk into the morgue, we're like, nah, he's not dead, he's just sleeping. Get up! <laughs> How about some of those crazy people that we see on the streets? I'm not saying all of them are demon-possessed, but what I am saying, what if there are some? And what if it's our job to stop with the crazy people and say, you know what, I need to pray something for you. That's taking your faith to another level. But you know what? That should be our norm, not the rarity. And if I'm sitting here, if you guys remember what I was talking about last week, I'm poking you. I'm trying to challenge you. Look, we could all just come together on Sunday mornings and sing Kumbaya and, you know, mark off the we went to church box and then go out and live the live, our lives exactly the same and nothing changes. We see no miracles. We don't see good testimonies. We don't have any of that. Why? Because we're just living the way we want to live. Did that make sense? we got to get to a place where we unbind things in our hearts and our minds and we sit around and we say, God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to hang out with you. And it doesn't matter if you heal me or you don't heal me because I know who you are. At the end of the day, I know who you are. And I don't care if I look unattractive to people. It's not about me anymore. It's got to be those around me. And I'll be honest with you, Band, you can come on stage. This is human nature to actually love on people. I don't know very many tragedies that have happened in and around us where a tragedy happens and everybody just goes, ah, eh, they'll deal with it. What happens when a tragedy strikes? We all move in. How can we help? How can I be of service? A disaster happens, a building falls down, what can we do? And then if we can't do anything, most people just go to praying. And if we don't go to praying because we don't know God, what do we do? We go, man, we just, we got to feel like we got to do something. So they write letters. They try to do something encouraging. Or maybe they don't write letters, they just send money because that's the only thing they know. It's in our nature to want to help people. And you know what? When it hits to basically tragedies, it doesn't matter how unattractive it is. We just go after it. Because we want to help. Did that make sense? So, anyways, to end this series of Unbound, I just want us to get to this place where we start looking at the reason why we do what we do. And are we in a place where we're sitting down saying, all right, I'm ready to be unbound. I'm ready to be attractive, unattractive. I'm just ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to do what it takes. I'm ready to go and break chains if I need to. I'm ready to basically go and touch the hem of garments because I know who he is. And you know what? When things fall apart and I think that there is no rescue and no hope, I'm still going to believe. Why? Because that's what he asked me to do. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of all the worry. I'm tired of fretting over things that I have no control over. I'm ready to just follow.
Father. I hope that's where you're at. And I hope that this inspires you or pokes you or challenges you to go out those doors and live a different life. To go be the man and the woman that God has called you to be. If we want to see change and we want to see this world start to, you know, get back on the right track, it's going to take us. Not somebody else, us. Start small and let's see what God will do. So Father, would you bless your sons and daughters? Would we be unbound for you, Father God? And God, may we start to look through your eyes because I believe, God, if we look through your eyes, we would see more things attractive to us. So Holy Spirit, come move in this place as we remember you and worship you.